So Money episode 102, Sandra Bernhardt. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Good day to all of you. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You know, I've been trying to expand my reach on this show. I've been having the best time talking to entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, financial luminaries. And uh, I want to make this a year where I get to talk to as many people as possible from all walks of life. Maybe you one day. Actors, uh, comedians. I want to talk to chefs. I want to talk to inventors. I want to talk to millionaires next door. And today, I feel as though I'm fulfilling that mission to really expand the show's reach in terms of the variety of guests that I bring to you. Today's guest is someone that I've actually been wanting to talk to for many years. She is an award-winning comedian, actor, and musician. Her name, you know her, is Sandra Bernhard. Described as a living, breathing bonfire and a super smart and slightly mad performer of stunning originality, She began her career at L.A.'s famed Comedy Store in the 70s and since then has written and starred in numerous one-woman shows. She's acted in movies and on television. Uh, She's recorded albums and authored books. She's been on The Late Night Show with David Letterman more than 30 times. And my first memory of Sandra was back in the 90s when she played Nancy Bartlett, the first openly gay character on a network sitcom. And from there, she's gone on to have many guest starring and recurring roles on numerous other shows from Good Christian Bells to Hot in Cleveland, Allie McBeal, The Larry Sanders Show, and more recently, Two Broke Girls on CBS. She has a live show in May coming up at the Regency Ballroom in San Francisco. Uh, That's May 1st. And at the Capitol Theater in Olympia, Washington on May 2nd. And her five-episode guest starring arc on Two Broke Girls started on March 30th, and it continues Uh, from there. Now, during our time together with Sandra, we learned how growing up in Flint, Michigan in the 1960s, which was sort of the auto capital of the world at the time, shaped her views on money. What it takes to live below your means in an industry that pressures you often to spend extravagantly. And how she teaches her 16-year-old daughter the value of money, raising her in New York City. Here is the fabulous, the talented Sandra Bernhardt. Sandra Bernhard, welcome to So Money. Such an honor to have you on the show. Congratulations on so much going on with you right now. Thank you. I know it's a very exciting time, and uh, <laughs> I love to be working and out there in great projects. It's you know, it's it's good for me. So, and and I'm just excited to be exposed in new venues. So it's it's really great. Uh, I remember watching you on Roseanne, a breakthrough role, uh, where you played Nancy, the openly gay co-owner of the Lanford Lunchbox. Fast forward to today, you are, as I was reading critics write about uh, Two Broke Girls, you're really kind of giving that show a, a, a facelift, like a makeover, um, probably uh, well overdue a little bit. Uh, and tell us a little about that show. You've gotten a multi kind of episode arc there. Uh, how is that? Um, actually, I'm more curious not only about the new role there, but how television in your experience has changed in terms of the production. Like, what's the most surprising aspect of making TV today versus when you were back doing Roseanne episodes? 
Well, this, actually, this this um, particular show, Two Broke Girls, is very similar to Roseanne. It's it shot before a live audience. It's on a contained set uh, where they build sets, you know, according to the, the character lines. And it's very similar. So it's, it's sort of funny because I've done other things, you know, throughout the years. And whether it's cable or, you know, and, you know all the sort of new um, outlets for, for, you know, TV shows. But this one is very standard and very um, traditional. So, uh, you know, it's very very comfortable for me because I'm used to it because of Roseanne and, and some of the other you know, sitcoms that I've done over the years. Your body of work is very diverse, you know, from stand-up comedian to music to sitcoms, uh, one-woman show. Is that the key to a long-lasting career in show business? It's this ability to adapt and also be coming up with new ideas all the time, not letting the industry kind of pick you? Well, you know, for, for myself personally, that's just how it's gone because I, I my work is diverse and I write, you know, my own material, and I started out in, in the comedy, you know, circuit, and then sort of segued into acting, and then into doing my one-woman shows, and so, you know, it's just kind of kept evolving from the original, you know, inspiration, which was to be a creative person, and somebody who loved to be out there, you know, performing live, and and then getting the opportunity to act as well, so... It's just been a natural evolution for me, you know, and I haven't really, like, thought it out or it wasn't sort of big, you know, these big dramatic proclamations like this is, you know, my next big move. It's just things just sort of flow. And, you know, sometimes they're quiet periods and sometimes they're super busy, but you just kind of stay in the creative mode and that keeps it all going. On your website, you describe your lifestyle as schwatzy. Am I pronouncing that correctly? (laughs) (laughs) How do you say that word? Schwatzy. (laughs) Schwatzy. Okay. I love that. Well, tell us a little about that. Like you're laughing. So clearly this, uh, you know, puts a smile on your face. When I talk about Joisey and I talk about, you know, all these sort of, you know, interesting (laughs) continental words to describe sophistication and, and fun. And I mean, I love good food. I, I, I love travel. I love, you know, you know, exotic places and interesting people. And I've managed to continue to to have all of that in my life. And, I, and that, to me, is what makes life worth living. I mean, as, as an adjunct to my work, which I love, I mean, I like to, to travel and experience things in, you know, great cities and outskirts throughout the world because I, that inspires my work. Um, when I spent time in Morocco, you know, the three times I was there, that led me to, you know, writing several different pieces about Morocco and the experience of being in a, in a you know, a sort of very exotic um, culture. And, and, you know, I, I like to be inspired and you can't always find that in your, you know, you can find it in your backyard, but it's nice to also find it in a backyard across the world. So I've always loved travel. It's very important to me. I want to let listeners know that you're going to be at the Regency Ballroom in San Francisco on May 1st and the Capitol Theater in Olympia, Olympia, Washington on May 2nd. Right. And uh, so live versus taped, although you get to do TV in front of a live audience. So there is that rush still. Um, Is that what you love most about performing is kind of being that instant gratification of being in front of that live audience? Well, yeah, that's certainly a big part of it. I mean, it's it's just a different sort of experience. You know, it's it's like putting together a show. It's that intimacy that you have with, with, with a live audience. And every show takes on its own character and its own sort of, you know, 
um, unique, you know, experiential thing for you, for you and the artist and for the, for the audience. So, you know, it's just great. And you can control it minute to minute and you can take, kind of take it wherever you want. And it's just a great exercise in acting and, and connecting. So, you know, that to me is, is always exciting. This show, I like to put a spotlight on my guests' financial insights, experiences. I give so much credit to artists. I personally had dreams of becoming an actress when I was young, but I was kind of, I I veered off from that. A lot of times people tell you, you're never going to, you know, make a living being an artist. And it's just something you don't even want to try. And so when I find, and I meet artists who are very successful and not just from a career standpoint, but from a financial standpoint, I always want to ask them, you know, what's, what does it take? How did you do it? What's your story? So I'd love to transition now if we may and talk a little bit about maybe what is your financial philosophy? If you have one, um, that well, helps. My, my, everybody knows what mine is. It's called living below my means. That was actually a name of one of my, my series that I wrote, which was about an actress and somebody similar to me who like, you know, living below your means because something about, you know, the, the world we're living in and getting caught up in trying to impress people and also being in this business, it's very easy to fall prey to that. You know, I've got to have the, the car and I've got to have this certain kind of home and be out every night and, you know, you'll blow through your money in two minutes. I mean, and that's for people that make a lot more than I do. So right from the get-go, you know, I, I mean, when I moved to L.A. when I was 19, Everybody knows this is sort of, you know, the classic story. I became a manicurist, and I worked in Beverly Hills for five years, supporting myself while I broke into the comedy scene, which paid absolutely nothing when you started off. And one of my, one of my friends, Jenny Marchenko, who's a big writer, always said, honey, you know, Sandy has her first $5 she ever made as a manicurist, which is probably true, you know. I've just been very, you know, frugal and very, you know, careful about my money over the years, and I make certain decisions about how I want to spend my money, and and I draw the line. I'm, I'm just not a person of extremes. And so I keep a very, very tight ship. And I have a daughter, too, 16. She's in private school in New York, which is not cheap. And, you know, I mean, I still manage to save money every year, and I have a great um, investment um, business manager out in L.A. who I've been with since 1984. I trust him implicitly. I sign all my own checks. Um, I go over everything with him. Nothing gets, you know, sent out without my, you know, strict, you know, overs- oversight. And I've been incorporated um, since about 1983 or 84. And um, I've just been very smart about my money. That's all. I mean, you, it's just a decision that you make in your life about, you know, what it means to be secure, what it means to have fun, and where you draw the line. Did you learn this? Do you think it's in your DNA or did you, were you influenced growing up? Did you have good role models? I like to ask my guests about a money memory they had growing up that was pivotal. Well, first was I was born in Flint, Michigan. Um, and in the sixties, um, it was a very thriving, you know, the Midwest was thriving because of the automobile industry. Um, my father was a doctor. My mother was an artist and people had a lot of money in Flint, um, particularly the, you know, the Jewish community. And, um, I was exposed to a lot of people that spent their money were, that were very snobby, and I didn't like that. And my mother, being an, an abstract artist, was kind of the antithesis of that. And I just always looked around and thought, you know, it's great to have money. It's great to look great and be sophisticated, but 
to be like you know to to use it as a, as a as a cudgel, a cudgel and, and a tool to hurt other people. I always found it very obnoxious. So money for me was always like kind of tinged with a little bit of like mm, I don't really like what it does to people per se. So I'm anti snob and I'm proactive in terms of you know being quiet about my money and and playing it down because I just really it's nobody's business and I also don't like to use it to make people uncomfortable. Did you ever have a moment of failure with your money? It could have been a, a small failure, but it was something that you still reflect upon with, uh, you know, like that was a, a big moment for me. I learned a lot from that. Well, you know, I mean, you, there was a couple of investments that my business manager made that, that one in particular that went south amongst, you know, the same guy who invested in other things in Vegas that did very well. One didn't do well, and it was like you kind of, I kind of bucked up, and you got to take the, you know, sometimes you have to ride it out because not every single thing, as you know, in the investment world pans out. But other than that, me personally, I mean, I guess, you know, sometimes I've been, you know, I've taken some trips and taken a lot of people along with me, and maybe if I look back, I would have like tightened up the ship a little bit. But we had such a good time, and they're such great memories that you go, eh, you know, you make the money back. It wasn't like, you know, it was silly. I didn't hire a private jet, you know, I mean, so I, I, there's nothing I really look back on in terms of how I've spent my money and got, Oh, wish I'd done that, you know? So no, I, I have to say, I feel very, very good about, you know, how I've lived my life financially. You don't sound very easily influenced. And I mean that in the highest regard, I think people who have are in your industry, oftentimes they allow others to manage their money or they follow the herd. And it sounds like you knew at least enough of that from early on that this was not something you wanted to do well, that kept I, you I, out of trouble. I mean, I, I you know, I, I kind of, you know, minded my own money when, when I was young. And, you know, like I said, I always lived in, in, in situations that were very affordable for me. And then, as I started to make more and, and things, you know, got more secure and I found my business manager, you know, and we developed our trust together and he, you know, he never imposed, you know, some sort of like, you know, uh, this higher power of his influence and his, you know, knowledge on me. He said, what, how, what's the most comfortable way for you to work with me? And I, and I would, and I expressed that. So I don't, I always want to sign my own checks. I always want to know where my money is. And he's not an egomaniac, and he's also not not a thief. Thank God. <laughs> so it's it's been a very you know equitable and profitable relationship throughout the years. I imagine in your industry, there's a lot of negotiating that goes on. Uh, being firm about your self worth and your value is important. How would you describe your biggest financial success now? Let's flip it and talk about maybe a time where you either negotiated something very successfully or you did something really wise with your money that you're really proud of. Um, you know, I, 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 I can't say there's one particular thing. I think it's, you know, it's, it's really, the business is funny because, you know, 15, 20 years ago, they paid a lot more. And now it's, I'm kind of working my way back up and it's kind of the way it is for a lot of actors. You know, it's, it's just in general, they don't pay the way they paid. Why do you think that is? Because they can get away with it because of the advent of, of cable and, um, you know, these, um, streaming, you know, outlets, they just, they just pay less and they, you know, people want to work and there's a lot more actors and a lot more people out there buying for the same job that, that, than there was when I started. 
So, you know, the producers and, you know, the networks just know they've kind of got a stranglehold on people. So it's it's not as, you know, it's not as rosy and pretty as it was. And and obviously, you know, the the, the whole kind of landscape of, of you know, finances uh, internationally are, are in, in, in bad shape. There's too many people in the world. There's not enough resources. I mean, it's not, you know, it, it, it's a trickle-down effect from where, where we're at environmentally and and politically, geopolitically. And, you know, there, there, there's so many parts of the world that are in, you know, in, in turmoil in the middle of, you know, these these strangleholds of war and, uh, you know, terrorism. I mean, it affects everything. So that's just the way it is. If you had to distill your biggest financial habit, a habit that keeps your mind you know, your financial mind healthy, your decision-making appropriate, what would you say it is? It could be daily, but, or not, but it is conscious. Um, I mean, I live within a a sort of a budget because I know month to month, basically what I'm going to spend. And so that does help, you know, in terms of the long range, you know, view of, of my finances. And if I feel like, you know, I'm on a roll and I'm making a little bit more than and we might do something that's a little more indulgent, you know. Um, I've wanted to redo my kitchen for, you know, the past five or six years, but it's just in New York, anything you do, any kind of, you know, sprucing up is just ridiculously expensive. So we just put that on the back burner, literally. And, you know, so there's some sacrifices that you make sometimes because you think, I'd rather have that cash sitting there than mm-hmm. in my kitchen. For your daughter growing up in New York City, I have a, a nine-month-old. We live in New York City, and I, I kind of worry about raising him in a city where there's so much excess at uh-huh. the same time where there, you know, there's like a huge gap. There's like extremely poor, and then there's extremely wealthy. And I, I worry about... Um, teaching appreciation and really value. So mm-hmm. how do you, I'm curious now, this is not a question I ask all my guests, but you mentioned you do have a 16 year old going to school in New York, a very influential time in one's life. How do you kind of keep her appreciating? Well, first of all, like, like I said, we, I mean, we live, live in a very nice, you know, condo and it's a beautiful place, but it's not over the top. Um, a lot of her friends, you know, have places in the Hamptons or, not a lot of them. Actually, a lot of her friends at school, although the private school have, you know, are, are running on, you know, a lot less than we are. A lot of them there are on, on financial aid or, you know, so she has a diverse, you know, kind of range of friends and, and she just knows, you know, she she really doesn't ask for that much. I mean, it's, she just knows. She knows what the, what the bottom line is. And sometimes I go, you know, honey, and she might ask for some makeup. That's a little, that's, I mean, we might want to pull back on that. That's a little too much. And she goes, oh, oh, okay, I, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't. But she gets it, and you just, and without, you know, getting very dramatic about it, it's just like, hey, sweetie, you know, I think we're going to pull back on that. We're not going to take that trip. We're not going to buy those particular pair of jeans for $250, and you're going to have to <laughs> live with that. In the meantime, you're not suffering, thank God. But, you know, it's just how it's. It's just, you know, you just got to like set the tone. Mm-hmm. Live by example. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Sandra, this has been a lot of fun. I know you're on a time crunch, so I'm going to wrap this up with my so money fill in the blanks. This is where you just finish the sentence. Okay. Don't overthink it. If I won the lottery tomorrow, $100 million, the first thing I would do is? Set up a nonprofit. Um some sort of educational, you know, or just an outreach program. 
any particular cause or focus? Well, you know, there's so, I mean, there's so many. I mean, you know, whether it's for, for inner city kids or whether it's for women's reproductive rights or it's something environmental or, I mean, there's just, I mean, you walk around the city, as you know, and there's just so many people that are in need. I mean, from the people you just, the homeless people you see on the street to, you know, the people that are living in these, you know, funded, you know, housing situations. I mean, you would really just take sitting down with somebody who really, knew the best way to, to, you know, spend the money and make that decision. The one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? Um, my training sessions at the gym, working out. Yes, yes. Biggest guilty pleasure that you spend a lot of money on. You mentioned earlier that you do splurge from time to time. What's the one kind of exciting thing that you spend on that's, uh, you know, a reasonable amount of money, but you wouldn't want to do without it? Um, I can't say that. I, I can't really don't have any one <laughs> thing that I do other than working out or, you know, going. I, I'd have to say going out to nice restaurants. That, that's definitely our... That's our big thing. We, we, we really do splurge on good restaurants and not just restaurants to be seen, but restaurants that have, you know, great ethical, you know, farm to table, delicious, you know, high quality food and creative people cooking it. That's really important to us. Spoken like a true New Yorker. Yeah. When I donate money, you just mentioned what you would do with the $100 million, which was to be very charitable. When you do donate money, I like to give to blank because. Well, I love to give to Planned Parenthood because it helps women um, across the country access, you know, health care and, and, you know, reproductive rights that are becoming harder and harder to, to, you know, to get, you know, access. I mean, it's just it's just outrageous what's happened to women's you know, health in the past 15, 20 years. Absolutely. Yeah. Access is right. I mean, it's a phenomenal organization. Uh, I love supporting them. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, I'm Sandra Bernhardt. I'm so money because. I'm so money because it doesn't rule my life. And you can focus on your art. Thank you so much, Sandra. Congratulations on all that is uh, unfolding for you. Wonderful. Wonderful. And we look forward to seeing you on Two Broke Girls. Thanks a million. All the best. That is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Sandra Bernhardt, please check out her website, sandrabernhardt.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at Sandra Bernhardt. We've got all this information at somoneypodcast.com. There are also the transcript and comments from this episode and all episodes. And I want to hear from you. Please submit your question about money, work, life, guests at somoneypodcast.com. And there's a really good chance that I will answer it this weekend. You can also tweet me at Farnoosh and use the hashtag somoney. And as a reminder, if you'd like to get a free 15-minute money session with me, just hop onto iTunes and leave a review for this show. Each Saturday, I select one new reviewer to receive a free 15-minute money blitz with me. So if this is something you want to do, you can increase your chances by leaving a review on iTunes, and hopefully I will read it off and we'll connect. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed our time with Sandra Bernhard. I'm so excited to be uh, expanding my reach and expanding my guest list on this show. I hope you'll come back right here tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, hope your day is so money.